This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through to 20, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon's uh, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this through any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What a moment. You know one of those wow moments? I don't know whether you've ever had that time where it's like, you know, you've done something that people go, wow. You know, it's just like that moment where it's like, how did that happen? What happened there? You know, people don't fully understand, you know, the significance of what had happened. And if you're taking notes tonight, number one is this, moments of brilliance. Because we are, as human beings, called to moments of brilliance. Those moments where all of a sudden it's like people look at it and go, wow, that come from? What happened in that situation? Because so you have this moment where Jesus asks his disciples, not out of a feeling of insecurity or not out of a feeling of, well, I wonder what people are saying about me. Because sometimes as humans, we do that, do we not? You know that moment when you walk in the room and... And that little voice in your head and saying, they're talking about me. They're saying stuff about me. Or even worse, when you walk in the room and all the conversations stop, you know that moment where every little ounce of fear in our life goes, what happened? See, Jesus wasn't insecure in who he was. He was very secure in the fact that he is the Messiah that he is the Christ. and actual fact, he had physical evidence from the Father above when the dove came and rest upon him at his baptism and the heavens split open and he didn't just hear it, but everyone else around him heard it where the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so it's like Jesus, I believe, was very secure in who he was. You know, even from a young age, because we see at the age of 12 when his parents are looking for him, we looked at it the other week, where it's like they're looking for him and he says, well, don't you know? You should have known I would be about my father's business. So even at the age of 12, Jesus was very secure in who he was and then because of that, he was secure in what he needed to do. But all of a sudden, it's like he asked the disciples, he says, well, who do people say I am? And Peter has a moment of brilliance, has that moment where it's like everyone looks around and goes, amen, brother. Everyone, you know, if you're at Planet Shakers, they're all standing up on the front row, preach, preach, preach. You know, they've got this moment where it's like, you know, all of a sudden, because he says, you are the Christ. You are the one that we have been looking for 
for all these years. You are the one that a whole nation has had their gaze towards and hoping that you would turn up. You are the Christ. I want to tell you, that's a moment of brilliance. But it wasn't an accident that it happened. It wasn't an accident that Peter had a moment of brilliance. It wasn't just something that happened. The words just didn't fall out of his mouth. You know, I've had those times where it's like I've been saying something and I'll say something and the person who I'm talking to will go, wow, that's good. And I'll go, is it? I'm glad that you think it's good. And it wasn't an accident that this happened. It wasn't just an accident. See, moments of brilliance don't just happen. Moments of brilliance have to be strategically thought about and strategically sought out for them to happen. Because... This moment of brilliance in Peter's life came about because of a revelation from the Father. So number two, if you're taking notes, revelation will change your confession. Revelation will change what you speak. Revelation will change how you view life. Revelation will change how you view society, how you view life, how you you view the situations that you're in. Because see... Here's Jesus saying to Peter, that moments of brilliance didn't just happen. That moment of brilliance actually happened because the Father has revealed it to you. And I want to challenge you. Anyone want to be challenged tonight? Because sometimes we like being challenged and other times we don't. What revelation from the Father have you brought to your world this week? What revelation... What revelation has come from the Father, not from a man, not from a book, not from something else. Now, it might have come through a man because often God will speak to you through someone or through a book and that sort of stuff. But what revelation has the Father given you this week that you've actually passed on to someone else? Because I actually think that's our job is to not just receive revelation, not just to hunt out revelation because we are called as spirit-filled believers to be in a personal relationship with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if we're in a personal relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are going to have much to say about lots of things. So this revelation was not revealed by flesh and blood, was not revealed by a man, but by the Father in heaven. Now, how did that happen? How did it happen? I reckon it happened through a conversation. It happened through conversation that Peter had with the Father because there was times when the disciples come to Jesus and said, well, teach us to pray because they saw something in Jesus' life that they wanted in their life and that what they wanted in their life was they wanted that relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And through relationship, through personal relationship, Peter had revealed to him the truth about Jesus Christ. So you will never settle the questions of life's questions without first coming to an understanding of who Christ is. You will struggle in life until you settle the God question in your life. You will be on the treadmill of life. You will be on the merry-go-round of life. You will be on the cycle of life until you settle the question in your own heart about who God is. But once you get a revelation of who God is, your confession changes. <laughs> Come and say all sorts of stuff to you and you will have the confession, well, if God is for me, who can be against me? You can have the confession 
in your life, when you understand who Christ is, and when you also get a revelation of who you are, that you are the head and not the tail. You know, this week I've been, um, you know, reading um, Deuteronomy, who enjoys those books. Some of the Old Testament books are just like, oh, man, it'll take a while to get through this. But there was a scripture that I read, and I actually quoted it the other week about the fact that we're the head and not the tail. The fullness of that scripture is if you obey, if you obey what God says, you will be the head and not the tail. If you disobey what God says, guess what? You're the tail and not the head. And so revelation, not only of God, but revelation of who we are, will change your confession. Can I also add an extra element to that? Revelation of who God is and revelation of who you are, but also revelation of who your neighbor is will actually change your confession as well. So you will start to understand that there are bigger things at play than just what society might say. Because of the revelation that Peter received, let's read it again from verse 17 onwards. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because your Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Because see, previous to this, Peter was known as Simon, son of John. And the word Simon means reed, one that blows in the breeze. But Peter means rock, someone who is stable and secure. And so because Peter or because Simon received revelation from the Father of who Jesus is and because he enacted that revelation in his life, the picture of who he was changed in his life. He went from the one that was blown here and there, whichever way it might blow, to one who was firm and secure. In actual fact, Jesus takes it a step further and he says, um, uh, now you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it because all of a sudden revelation starts to come for him. So he gets a revelation from the Father of who Jesus is and he's willing to speak that out at the right time and all of a sudden his own personal view of himself starts to change. Now, he gets home that day and someone says, how are you going, Simon? No, I'm Peter. What do you mean you're Peter? Your name's Simon. No, Jesus said, I used to be Simon, but now I'm Peter. Well, how did that happen? I got a revelation from the Father of who Jesus is. <laughs> Thank you, I will, I'm trying. <laughs> I appreciate the encouragement, believe me, because there's days I preach and people look like this. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> so, not only is Peter shown that he's the rock and because of that confession that something could be built upon the confession, but all of a sudden there's like an extra element to it. His authority starts to get outlaid as well. His authority, because not only is he the rock, not only has he been moved from a person who's wishy-washy, not only is he moved from that person that is blown here and there by every little puff of wind that comes, all of a sudden he's the rock and we can build something on the rock. But then Jesus says this, he says this, all the powers of hell will not be able to stand against you. See, his authority starts to be laid out before him. His authority starts to be, you know, outlaid. And so and then, he, then Jesus says this, he said, well, all the powers of hell, 
Because you know what? Sometimes believers are scared of little demons. Sometimes we're scared of little demons. Where Jesus says, no, even Satan has been put under our feet. And so when we get a revelation of who Christ is from the Father, we start to see ourselves in a new light. And when we see ourselves in a new light, all of a sudden we start to understand the authority that we've been given. And then he goes a step further. He says this, and I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I love having keys. I do. I like having keys because keys unlock things. And the fact that I have keys on my key ring means that I have things to unlock. So on my key ring, I have multiple car keys. I do, don't I? I have multiple car keys. In actual fact, I have car keys on my key ring that I have not used in five years. You might say, well, why don't you take them off your key ring and put them somewhere? No, I like them on my key ring. Why? Because I know what they unlock. I know what they turn on. I know what they're used for. And when I have the key, that's why these modern cars, I don't like them because you don't have a key, you have a button. They give you a fob. In years to come, the modern version of the Bible will say something like this. I've given you the fob of the kingdom. Whatever button you push on earth will be pushed in heaven. (laughs) So here's Jesus saying to Peter, not only are you the rock, which is good for him, not only will I build something on you, which is good for the church, but I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And again, let's challenge ourselves. What have we forbade this week? What have we taken the keys of the kingdom that we have and actually put that to use? You might say, well, nothing. Well, if that's the case, then maybe you don't understand the authority that you have. What is it? that you're permitted into your life? What is it that we're allowing into our... What are we allowing to come into our life that shouldn't be there? We have the power and the authority over those things. So moments of brilliance, you are the Christ. Revelation that will change your confession is really important. Number three, moments of stupidity. Anyone ever have a moment of stupidity? (laughs) How many moments of stupidity have you had this week? Moments of stupidity. So one of the things I've learned in life is we can have moments of brilliance, but we can also have those to her moments. This week I was in conversation with someone uh, over the internet via um, email and that sort of stuff that isn't a Christian, but I've had a bit of input into their life in certain situations. And um, they actually emailed me back and they go, Trevor, you must be one of the most positive people I know. And I went, nice. And I actually messaged him back and I said, I have moments of brilliance in my life, but then I have moments of absolutely stupidity, just ask my wife. Now, I was safe in doing that because my wife doesn't know this person and she is not getting his email. (laughs) See, we can have moments of brilliance, moments where everyone sits back and goes, wow. Moments where Jesus says, you know what, I can build something upon that. Moments of brilliance where it's like the confession comes and we change who we are and all of a sudden, we not only do we change who we are, but we get revelation about things like our authority and what we can do in the kingdom and that sort of stuff. And then we have moments of stupidity. So let's go to verse 21. Because I am glad that there's moments of brilliance in the Bible. But there's also moments of stupidity as well. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell 
his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. See, there's no break in this. There's no break in what happened. So here's Peter, because you've got to get the flow. So here's Peter, has this moment of brilliance where he gets this confession from the Father and he makes it his own. And all of a sudden, because of that, there's revelation comes to him that is outstanding. And then from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and teachers of the religious law. He would be killed and put, and, uh, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you want to be, wants to be my follower, you must Give up your own way and take up the cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own, uh, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I, tell you, and I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. See, you have this moment of brilliance that Peter does. It's like, well, who do men say I am? Well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one you've been searching for. And then all of a sudden, there's a moment of stupidity in his life because Jesus says this, well, because I'm the Messiah... Because I'm the Christ, I need to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And Peter actually, the Bible's pretty plain the way it says it. He took him aside and began to reprimand him. Maybe Peter thought, I've got the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to bind that and I'm going to loose my agenda. I'm going to bind that. So in his moment of stupidity, what he does is he says, nope, you will not die. It can't be. Why can't Jesus die according to Peter? Because it doesn't fit according to Peter's plan. It doesn't line up with what Peter had planned for Jesus in his life. See, Peter, in that moment of brilliance, said, well, you're the Christ. And in the moment of stupidity, he tries and makes the Christ line up to his agenda and his thoughts and his ways. And Jesus reprimands him back in a way that I want to tell you that if Jesus spoke to me like he spoke to Peter, I would struggle with offence. I would have to check my heart and I would have to check my thoughts and I would have to make sure that I wasn't being offended by Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's pretty stiff, is it not? He's gone from this brilliant moment. Well, I'm going to build something on your confession to get behind me, Satan. So in a moment of stupidity... And the thing that made Peter's comment stupid or against what Jesus had was that he took the thoughts of man and the heart of man and tried to apply that to God. So what are we to do when our revelation 
does not match up or suit what we want to confess? I think this is a great question. What do we do? Because you know what, church? This is when rubber hits the road. Because it's okay to stand in church, lift our hands high, and praise God in that moment. But when things don't suit, when God's agenda does not suit our agenda, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when things start to change. That's when the challenge comes in my life, where it's like, you want me to what? You want me to give up what? You want me to say what? You want me to do this? You know, I I had four things in my life that I said I would never do in the kingdom. Guess how many I've done? Four of them. Done all four. And every time I said it, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was saying, "Mm mm-hmm, let's just put that on the bucket list. Let's just write that down as, and you know what? All four of them, all four of them have been a joy. All four of them have been something good in my life. But because of my insecurities and because of my own thinking, you know, the Moses syndrome where it's like, send Aaron, not me. You know, because of my own poor self-esteem, because of my own view of myself and not seeing myself the way the Father sees me, that's what actually drove me to say those things. But once I got over myself and submitted myself to his plan, you know what, all those things have been a joy. All those things have been wonderful. So what do we do? This is point number whatever we're up to. Four. I didn't write numbers down, sorry. Point number next one. What do we do when revelation does not, or when the revelation does not match or suit what we are wanting to confess? First thing we need to do is trust. Without trust, you'll be in trouble. So the first thing we have to do is trust. Easy to let trust just roll off our tongue. You know, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. I mean, there are so many coasters with that written on. There are so many posters with that written on. There, you know, it's, it just rolls off our tongue. You know, trust in the Lord. You know, just, just trust. Well, I want to tell you, it's easier to say it than it is to do it some days. So what we need to understand, see, our trust, and this is why the revelation from the Father is super important, because our trust is given, is based in our revelation of who God is. See, if you don't understand who God is, it's hard to trust. So I don't just trust everyone. When someone says, jump in the car and we'll go for a drive, I don't just trust you. I've viewed your driving habits. And Helena Vanderkeer will not get in your car. Because <laughs> I've heard the stories. I would rather walk. A friend who turned up at my office one day on a borrowed motorbike. It was a, it was a um, Firebird. And... He says to me, come for a spin. I just picked it up from the dealership. I'm taking it for a test drive. Come for a spin. Here's the helmet. Shoves it in my chest. And so me being stupid, shoved the helmet on my head and jumped on the back. He took off, and I don't think the front wheel hit the road for the first 20 kilometers. That's an exaggeration. It did hit the road because as soon as that front wheel went up, I was headbutting him as hard as I could. Get that wheel down. And I told him, turn around, go home. Why did I tell him to turn around, go home? Because I didn't trust him. I didn't trust him. He was riding in a way that I reckon he had my claw marks in his ribs from where I grabbed him. See, trust. If we don't trust, we won't surrender. 
If we don't trust, if we don't know the person, you know, it's hard to surrender when you can't trust someone. And so there's this moment, see, revelation actually brings trust. The second thing we need to do when our revelation does not suit what we want to confess is we just need to believe him. We just need to believe him. We need to put more credit on the words he says than the words of doubt that come into our life. You know, Jesus comes to a tomb of Lazarus and Martha's there and she's saying, not sure. Lazarus's sister is saying, not sure. And Jesus has already told her just to believe and he will rise again. And Jesus says, well, didn't I tell you just believe? Just believe? And believe me, I'm preaching to myself here because I get placed in situations and, you know, the Holy Spirit's saying, just trust and just believe. Just trust and just believe. But the trust and belief will not come until we get a revelation of who he is. The third thing is we need to understand who's speaking. Because until we understand who's speaking, we won't give our trust and belief to that voice. I had a conversation with a teenager once, or they were almost a teenager, and they were concerned about some of the things that were being said about them. I actually challenged them on this point. I said, well, who's saying these things? And why are we giving credit to their voice above everyone else's voice? Bless you. It's hard growing up in today's society because there is so many things that want to push us into a mold that we don't fit in. And sometimes what happens, especially with technology and that sort of stuff, this guy I was talking about, he actually puts himself out there on the internet. And every time he puts himself out there on the internet, the trolls start trolling. They start commenting, oh, you're this, oh, you're that, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. You know, you talk funny, you're too fat, you're too this, your teeth are crooked, this, 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 this. All these things just bombard them. And I think to myself, why do we give credit to masked, masked people? Why do we give credit to faceless people when the one we love, the one that loves us passionately, the one that loves us so much went into a cross and died for us, we say, you know what, I'm going to put more credit on their voice than your voice. I look at it and go, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. Why do I do that? You know why? Because sometimes those voices reinforce the way I feel about myself. Sometimes those voices actually reinforce the way I want to feel about myself because I've let people down in certain situations. And so therefore, I don't believe I'm worthy. Can I let you in on a secret? God fully understands that you are not worthy. In actual fact, he wrote it for you. In Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He tells you, you are not worthy of his love. But you know what he also says? He says, you are the object of his love. <laughs> the fourth and last thing, if the musos could come back, that'd be great. Actually, if you're taking notes, you can write this down and then come back. We need to order the disorder. You need to order the disorder. I had a beautiful moment one day when I was running a youth group a long time ago where we'd been praying for the kids after a message and one of the young people, they were actually sitting down just here. I remember it like it was yesterday. And she's sitting on the floor, cross-legged, and she's going like this. It was amazing to watch, just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I was so intrigued by it that afterward I, I just went up to her and I said, what was happening? What was happening in that moment? And she said, well, you know what was happening? She said, I've got all this disorder in my life. And God said that I'm the conductor of that. And so I was conducting the disorder. And I was saying, this part of my life, you need to go over there. 
and you need to be this and you need to not be a part of my life and I need this part to be brought in. And she actually said this. She said, God has told me I'm the conductor of my life and I get to order my life. What wise words. Revelation from the Father. Revelation from the Father. See, here's Jesus. He puts it in order. He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, was he talking to Peter? Oh, well, he was in a roundabout way, you know, because the words came out of Peter's mouth. But it wasn't the words that was the issue. It was what Satan did with the words because we don't get to see that part of the story. And so I don't think whoever said, no, you're correct. Jesus wasn't speaking to Peter. He was actually speaking to Satan. But he says this, no, you cannot take what another person has said and twist it and mould it and allow it to become part of my destiny. You need to get behind me because your thoughts are not the thoughts of the Father. See, if we're going to allow the revelation when it doesn't suit what we think should happen in our life, we need to get some order in the disorder. We need to say, you know what? Even though I don't fully understand, because I trust, I'm going to believe. And because I'm able to believe, I'm going to understand who's actually said this to me. And I'm going to allow that to have precedence over the other stuff that would come to rob, kill and destroy out of my life. One of the things I love about the kingdom of God is he's given us a choice. Given us a choice. In all things, he's given us a choice. It's called free will. And so my choice, and I can only talk for me in this moment, is that I am endeavouring to trust, believe, understand who's speaking to me and allow order to come out of the disorder in my life. Why don't we all stand up? We're just going to sing this song, and if you want prayer tonight, I encourage you to come out the front, and we'll stand with you and pray with you. Actually, before we sing, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, even when we don't understand that we can trust you, Lord, that you are solid, firm, and secure in our life. Lord, your word declares that the Father wants to give us good things, and so when those things don't line up with what we think should happen, just like Peter did, Lord, we won't fight against it. We won't kick against it. Lord, but we'll choose to trust and obey. Lord, we'll choose to lay down our own lives because even as we read there tonight, if anyone wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to lay down our own life and we need to follow you. So we pray for your strength and your determination in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just as we sing this, if you want prayer, why don't you come out the front and we'll stand with you and pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.